our Lord comes. Folks, I am just absolutely ready for that event. Knowing that heaven is my home, that eternal life is ours through Christ Jesus, who is Lord. The fact is, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess to the glory of the Father. It's not a maybe, that's an absolute definite. The world's not ready for that. We need to be witnessing, we need to be sharing the glorious gospel of the grace of God to a world that needs to hear it. There's a story told of, of a bird lover by the name of Tom. And Tom would stand in his backyard and he would hoot like an owl. One night, an owl hooted back. And Tom was ecstatic. Tom was thrilled. And this man and his feathered friend would hoot back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That went on for over a year. Tom would hoot. Then he'd hear the owl a short distance away. It would hoot back, hoot back. Tom started taking a log of how many times that owl would hoot. He would register the frequency. He got to the point that he started thinking, I understand what this owl is saying to me. And he got excited because he thought maybe there was about to be an interspecies communication breakthrough. This conversation continued to develop. One day his wife shared the news with her neighbor down the street. And his wife told her what her husband was doing every evening and how the owl would hoot back. And her neighbor said, that is the strangest thing because my husband is doing the same thing every night. My husband does the exact same thing. <laughs> Folks, the moral of this story is you need to be certain who you're communicating with. With whom are you hooting? You need to make sure that the message is not falling on deaf ears, but the kind of ears that can actually understand what you're saying. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at First and Second Timothy and the important message that the Apostle Paul shared with young Timothy, the pastor of the church there in Ephesus. Paul shared, he communicated some truths to Pastor Timothy, truths that I think we would be wise to understand and to employ truths that every pastor needs to be aware of, truths that every person in leadership in a local congregation need to be aware of. And Paul was communicating these valuable truths to this young protege, 
And these six chapters contain instruction, guidelines for a local church organization and how a church should be conducting itself. Paul was encouraging young Timothy to exercise those gifts that God had given him there within that congregation. The main parts of First and Second, First uh, Timothy and Second Timothy, had to do with guarding against false doctrine, and how important it was that Timothy, you teach sound doctrine, and you teach your leaders sound doctrine that they in turn can teach sound doctrine. One of the points that we find as we go through First and Second Timothy is that false doctrine was already starting to creep in. As a matter of fact, by the time Paul writes Second Timothy, he tells him that all those of Asia have departed me. Didn't say they had departed the Lord. But by the time he writes Second Timothy, right before he is martyred. Those, that message of the gospel of the grace of God, that mystery, those dispensational truths had already started being lost. Those critical dispensational truths had already started being lost. So that there were those coming in teaching false doctrine, things that... that were not suitable to teach in a church that understands the marvelous grace of God. There in the church in Galatia, in the church uh, in Thessalonica, so many of the churches, the Judaizers had already come in teaching that salvation was by works, that you had to obey the law, you had to be circumcised, you had to do all of those things. And they were teaching things contrary to the truth that our apostle. Apostle Paul, that special revelation, that special mystery truth that he had, that had been delivered to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, they were already starting to lose those truths. The key verse to 1 Timothy is in chapter 3, verse 15. And as we go through this, I may keep referring back to this verse because this, this verse we need to understand. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. Now, that wasn't talking about running up and down the aisles or, or uh, things of that sort. It was talking about church conducting itself in a manner that glorifies God, that you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. People say, well, why do I need to go to church? I, I, can, I can be just as close to God on the fishing bank or out on a deer stand. Why do I need to be in church? Folks, you need to be in church because you need to hear the Word of God. You need... You need the fellowship of believers. You need to mingle with saints, let me tell you. You need that fellowship. That's all important. But I'll tell you what's important is knowing what God's Word says. Hey, I enjoy being out on a riverbank. I enjoy being in a deer stand. Not when it's cold. It's one of the reasons I don't hunt anymore. But you know where I need to be on Sundays and Wednesdays? 
and any other day when you have a Bible study, you, you need to be at church with open Bibles studying God's Word together. But if I tarried along, that you mayest know how thou oughtest be, to behave thyself in the house of God. And then he goes and he outlines qualifications. But he just outlined qualifications for the bishops, the elders, and, and the deacons. And he gave them all of this so you know how to conduct yourself. The preaching of the word is so absolutely important. Guarding against false doctrine that was already starting to creep in. The tentacles of that false doctrine were already starting to win. That cancerous growth of false doctrine was already starting to dilute that message that was so clear. And he was encouraging Timothy, Timothy, you need to guard that precious deposit tells him in 1 Timothy, he tells him to guard it in 2 Timothy, that thing that has been entrusted to your Timothy, you need to guard it. Things haven't changed. We still need to continue to guard that, that which has been committed to our care. Uh, look down in verse 11 of chapter 1, 1 Timothy. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. He commits it to Timothy's trust. The word of God commits it to our trust. That gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. That mystery that had been de de delivered to him, that truth about Jew and Gentile forming a joint body, making them the body of Christ, all of that Pauline truths, how that God in His infinite mercy and grace had included everyone in unbelief, not so that He could rain down judgment, but so that He could rain down grace and salvation to all who believe. Paul is saying, Timothy, guard that. Guard that. There are those that are going to come in, and they're going to teach you that you've got to do works in order to earn your salvation. They're going to come in, and they're going to teach, and we know that because they did. You need to make sure that those that, that come in and saying you've got to be circumcised, you've got to be baptized, you've got to be this, you've got to be that, you've got to work your way to heaven. You have to do things in order to pacify God when the truth of the matter is, by God's word we know that, that Christ Jesus, his death on Calvary's cross was all sufficient, that there's absolutely nothing else needed. We are complete in him. But there were those that were coming in and saying, no, 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 no. That's just the beginning. Folks, when Christ said it's finished, it was finished. We are complete in him. There is nothing else required. I'm going to tell you something. If there was anything else required, God would have paid it. He would have paid it. What's required is by faith we believe in Christ. We believe that he died for our sins. We believe he was buried. We believe that he rose again. And when we believe that, what does God do? He saves us. Not only does he save us, he seals us until the day of redemption, until we are raptured out of here or he calls us home by death. We are sealed until the day of redemption. 
We belong to Him. His stamp of ownership is placed upon His members of His body. The Holy Spirit takes us and places us into His body, and He seals us there. He places us in the body. Christ is the glorified head. He places us in the body where He wants us to be, where He wants us to serve. And there is no way, there is nothing you can do to better yourself in that body or take yourself out of that body. You are where God wants you to use you. Paul tells Timothy, you guard that truth. You guard those truths. And folks, we still need to guard those truths. Very few churches are preaching those truths. 1 Timothy 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior. A few years ago, we were doing a study on the uh, Christ of the book. Remember that? We would go through who Christ is in every book. Um, one of the books that we had the most difficult time with was Timothy, because we find Christ being so many things in 1 Timothy. And first verse we find that He is our Savior. He's our Savior. And folks, i got to tell you, I needed one. And praise be to God, I have one. God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Not only is He our Savior, He is our hope. When I think of Him being my Savior, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that heaven is my future home. There is absolutely, absolutely no doubt that eternal life is mine as a free gift from God because I did exactly what He said I had to do in order to be saved, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Heaven is my home because He is my Savior. He is a capable Savior. He is one who has the ability to save me. It's because of the faithfulness of Christ that I know that He is my Savior. See, a Savior is only as good as His ability to save. But boy, my Savior, He has the ability to save. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that my brother-in-law is now safely home in heaven. There is no doubt in my mind that he is walking on streets of gold and enjoying all the glories and splendors of heaven, not because he was such a good guy. I got a text from somebody yesterday saying, boy, Alan was such a good man. He was a good man. Yeah, he was a good man. But that's not why he's walking on streets of gold. That's not why he's enjoying all the glories and splendors of heaven. It's because of the faithfulness of Christ. Calvary's cross who died for his sins. He didn't earn his way there. He didn't work his way there. I'm not either. But by faith he trusted Christ. God his Savior. So he's safely home. 
He is our hope. I got to tell you something, folks. If my hope was not in the Lord Jesus Christ, how glad I am that the word Maranatha is in the scripture, that our Lord comes. The world is crashing around us, the world is in chaos. Chaos reigns. Were it not for Christ and Him being our hope? I'm not sure what I would do. Because it's kind of frightening. It's kind of frightening. But it's not when you consider the fact that the tomb is empty, that heaven is our home, because He is our Savior, He is our hope. Look over to uh, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verse 6. He is our ransom. I love those R words. Redeem, redemption, ransom, brick. You know, those, all of those words are just... who gave himself a ransom, oh my, for all, for all to be testified in due time. Not just an elect few. Gave himself a ransom for all. A, a ransom, I looked it up. A ransom is a consideration paid or demanded for the release of someone from captivity. And boy, didn't that, that's what happened. A ransom is a payment paid to release someone from captivity, and because of the shed blood of Christ, I have been ransomed. The debt that I owed has been paid in full. That's what God's Word tells me He is, and what He has done, who gave Himself a ransom for all, to be testified, to be preached in due time. And that's exactly what we continue to do. Look up at the verse right before. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. There he's calling him our Savior again. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's will that all men be saved. Not just an elect few. Not just a select few. Not, let me tell you right now, God has not chosen, okay, this one's saved, no, nah, that one's lost. No, okay, saved, saved, lost, lost. God has not done that at all. The elect is referring to God has chosen the, the, elect, the body of Christ, just as he chose Israel corporately to do his work in and through. And presently, God has set Israel aside, and he is elected to use the church, the body of Christ. That is what he's using in order to get his message to a lost and dying world. And whosoever will can become that elect body by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's will that all men be saved, and that includes you. That includes you. I've never understood 
Calvinism. I've never understood that position when it's clearly God would have all men to be saved. It's God's will that all men believe and place their trust in Christ. He's made the way possible. Christ on Calvary's cross. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Tim, I didn't give you this verse, but start with verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Folks, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. Verse 18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us, there's another one of those R words, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, telling people that they can be redeemed through Christ. That's our ministry. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The point there is Christ has reconciled the world unto himself. God has reconciled the world unto himself through Christ. The world has been reconciled. All man has to do now is believe by faith, accept, trust what Christ did on Calvary's cross. From God's, from God's perspective, reconciliation is made. Look at my son on the cross. Look what Christ did on Calvary. See that shed blood. That was shed for the world. That blood was shed for all, not just an elect few, not just those that God foreknew. His blood was shed for every sinner that's ever been born so that they can have life abundantly. It's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That was Peter's explanation when he was writing in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, when he, they were asking him, well, why is he delaying? How come he's not here? Why didn't he, why hasn't he appeared? And Peter said, God's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But what's causing Christ's delay is that God is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. He's given everyone a chance and time to come to know Christ, Jew and Gentile. These were Jews asking Peter, well, where's his coming? How come he hasn't come back yet? Peter's telling him, because he wants to give the Gentiles. He wants to give those that were lost, who, that were alienated, that were far from God, without hope. He's wanting to give them an opportunity to know his goodness and his grace and his mercy. 
He's not willing that any should perish. Why is he delaying? Because he's not willing that any should perish. He wants them all to know him as Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, what an important verse that is, folks. As we go through these two books, we need to keep this verse in mind. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe that verse 5 should be in the Bible? For there is one God. We believe that. And one mediator between God and men. What does one mean? No other. There's one mediator. It means one. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Is Mary a mediator? Let me give you a hint. No. Are the saints, are the saints mediators? No. Who is, the me, who is the one mediator? Can it be any clearer than that? Any group, any people, anyone that tries to tell you that you have to go through or you can go through anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ, they are lying to you and their heart's desire is that you die and go to hell. There is only one mediator. I don't care what the world wants to say. I don't care what the world wants to accept. There is only one mediator between God and man. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, don't come to me thinking, I can mediate for you. I can pray for you. And I can point scripture you need to go to. But I can't mediate. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ that can say, Father, they're mine. He's mine. She's mine. They belong to me. They're part of my body. Only Christ can do that. For there is one God. There is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Don't let anybody tell you there's any other. Because they're not being truthful. And if they're not being truthful, then who's their, fa who's their father? Just something to think about. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That all be saved. And I pray this morning that you've all believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that you have trusted God. By faith, you believe that Christ died for your sins. By faith, you have trusted Him, and you know that heaven is your home. But if you haven't, let me encourage you, by faith, not to think, well, i got to wait till I get my life cleaned up. Well, I've got, to, I got some changes I need to make. You can't make them. Only the Holy Spirit can do that in your life. Look at verse 2, 1 Timothy 1. 
Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what we need to understand is this was written about 67 A.D. Paul has been released from Roman prison. It was there in the Roman prison that he had written to, uh, uh, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Galatia, to the church in Philippi. He had written to Philemon. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Philemon and said he told Philemon, I'm hoping to be released. Well, that was his first Roman imprisonment. When he writes this to Timothy, he has been freed. He's either in Macedonia or Troas. We're not exactly sure where he was, but he was writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, you stay in Ephesus. Basically, they need you in Ephesus. Times are difficult because it was just a few years before this release, and I think it's going to play a big part in Paul's next uh, arrest is that Nero burns Rome down. Remember he fiddles and Rome burns? Who gets the blame for that? The Christians. The Christians get the blame for that. Nero's not going to take the blame for it. Christians get the blame for burning Rome down. And the martyrdom just takes off the persecution is unbelievable. Paul goes to Spain. He, him being the head of the church, him being uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, I think is the reason he is arrested and he is tried and he is executed. When we get to 2 Timothy, he tells him, he says, he tells Timothy, my departure is at hand. I've run the race. I fought the good fight the time of my departure is at hand tradition we don't know exactly sure uh, but tradition has that he was beheaded we don't know scripture doesn't tell us but we know he was martyred he was killed um, and I think his, he took the brunt of, of what happened in Rome Let's get him. He's the guy. He's guilty. And so they arrest him again. And so when he writes 2 Timothy, he's back in prison again waiting his execution. But here, he's encouraging Timothy. He's telling him, here's what you need to do in the church. Here's how you need to get organized. Here's how you need to conduct yourselves. Here are the, the leadership that you need to appoint. Here's all that you need to do in order for the gospel of Christ to go forward. Folks, it's only the gospel that's going to change lives. It's only the good news that's going to change a man or woman's heart. It is the power of God unto salvation, hearing the truth. So he says, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul continues to come back to how important it is that he teach that doctrine that was revealed to him, and he had revealed it to Timothy and to each of the, the churches. Those, that doctrine of the dispensation, the grace of God that's in the Pauline epistles, that you teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables 
an endless genealogy. See, that's something that the Jews were, were well known for doing. Is coming in and they would start talking about, well, I'm part of this tribe and I'm part of that tribe or I belong to this group or that. It, the endless genealogies. And as if that were to give credibility, Paul is saying, avoid that. Don't get into that. Because that has nothing to do with this present dispensation. Israel is blinded. Israel is set aside. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Don't get mixed up in tradition and genealogies and that type of stuff. You're going to get into something. Charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, living by faith. Verse 6, for which some, and I think the some here that he's talking about are believers. He's talking about some who are active in the church, the body of Christ, that have, go, that, that have gone astray. Haven't lost their salvation because we're sealed into the day of redemption. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But I think he's talking about believers here. For which some have swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. Vain jangling. I looked that word up. I, it's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Jangling. It has to do with talking idly really making no sense the words you say are sort of discord they make no sense in the dictionary it gave the impression of having money in your pocket and you you that never happens with me but having money in the pocket and and jangling that money well it, it just makes no sense it's just vain jangling Paul is saying those that have swerved, those that are teaching those untruths, they're just empty, vain, jangling. It makes no sense. He, he tells Titus the same thing. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10. Kind of gets into the same thing with young Titus. These pastoral epistles are so important. Titus 1.10, For there are many unruly and vain talkers. Was then, is now. And deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Who is he talking about there? The Jews, because they were teaching them, got to obey those in Moses' seat. You got to be circumcised. The Judaizers, and, and that's the reason why in Galatians, Paul tells them, if, if we or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel than what we've preached to you, let them be accursed. Again I say, if we or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel, let them be accursed. Because that's what was happening. A false gospel was being shared and preached in Galatia and in Ephesus and in Philippi and in Rome and all over. Because people just had a hard time accepting how marvelous God's grace is. 
Down through the years, people have just had a difficult time saying, God, all glory, all praise goes to you because you did it all. God, I've got to do something to help you out here. God, I've got to do something to prove myself and make you love me more. God, I've got to do something to make you more proud of me. And what we need to realize, what the world needs to realize is that we stand perfect in Christ because it was of Christ that God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's not a single one of us that God the Father could ever point to and say, I'm well pleased. But boy, in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's well pleased. And I'm in Him. See, that's what salvation is all about. See, really what the world wants to do is reject the finished work of Christ. They want to put the glory on man, not on Christ. Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. In other words, the things they're teaching... It's for money. It's for prestige. It's for prosperity. I got news for them. That's not God's purpose. Look at, real quick, 1 Timothy 6, since we're on that topic. Start with verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes and words whereof convey envy, strife, railings, evil, uh, surmising. See, Paul's still on that topic here perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Two times here in this letter to Timothy, Paul is warning him not to get wrapped up in, in false teachings that talks about gain and riches and that, that if... if how that you're serving God is because you're just being blessed and you're driving a sports car and you're, dry, and you're wearing nice suits and you're living in mansions and I, I, had a, I had someone write to me a while back and they wanted me to be blessed and if I would only send them a hundred dollars they assured me that God would give me a thousand That's a pretty good deal, ain't it? Well, what I said, why don't you send me $100? Because you need $1,000 more than... I'd be happy with $100. You send me the 100 and you'll get 1000 if you really believe that. I, I'm still waiting on my $100. I haven't gotten it yet. And I'm not going to get it. But see, Paul is warring against, warning against false teachers, false preachers. 
Those that were preaching and doing things in other, in, uh, only for, for filthy lucre's sake and for teaching things that were just not true. Paul understood that the days were about to get pretty seriously bad. And he's giving them the word of God so that they can face these bad days, these difficult, difficult times. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. That's what we desire to teach and preach here, folks, is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel is Christ died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And if you want to be a new creation, if you want to have that reconciliation with God, what you have to do is believe that. It's not a church attendance. It's not a work you can perform. It has nothing to do with how much you give. It has nothing to do with how often you attend church, but you really need to attend church. That relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important relationship you'll ever have. There is absolutely nothing that compares with having that hope and that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And all of us that know Christ, we are going to experience glory. One of these days we are going to be in heaven. One of these days we are going to be enjoying all the glories and splendors. And we are going to go, oh, praise be God as we worship him before his throne, as we sing praises to him. But knowing Christ now is just a foretaste of that. And I hope and pray this morning that you get a longing for home. You get a longing for home. The next Sunday, we're going to talk about chapter, finish chapter one, because it is such important, important verses for us to understand the message and why we preach and teach what we do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your, for your word that tells us what we need to do to defend it. To Father, may we ever be faithful to that end. Father, may we understand what you've called us to do. Father, may we be faithful to that calling. Now, Father, I thank you for each person here this morning. I pray for their families, pray for their children, their grandchildren. I pray, Father, for their hopes and their dreams. Father, that you will be glorified in their lives.
Father, we have no idea what, what the future holds. But Father, we're so glad that you do. That you hold it. That you hold us. And Father, it is with gladness that we can pray, Lord, your will be done. Because that's where we want to be, is in the center of your will. Now, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, they do not have that joy, that confidence, that peace of trusting you, that, Father, they won't leave here today without believing that you died for them, that you paid that debt they owed, that you rose again, that you are alive. Father, they will confess that with glad hearts. Father, understanding that the moment they do that, that they are justified, they are glorified, they are sanctified, they are redeemed. Father, we are saved to the uttermost by what Christ did on Calvary's cross. Father, I thank you for saving me. I could never have saved myself. Father, I praise you for that salvation. I trust you for that salvation. Father, my desire is to spend eternity praising you for that, that salvation. And Father, dismiss us this morning. May this week be a week where we serve you, where we strive to glorify you in all that we say and do. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.